Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only You Thought You Were Doing Something Nice for Your Child podcast. <laughs> oh god, I thought I did. I'm Joel Gasson with John Fraser as usual, and uh, yeah, we got uh, quite the football games to talk about here. The yeah. Legal this week after uh, the Riders lost to the Argos, maybe not totally unexpected given the way last week went and everything that kind of led into that game. Uh, we will, of course, get into all that, uh, share our thoughts on the game, share our thoughts kind of on, you know, the Riders being in the thick of it now with a really tough schedule basically the rest of the season now. And we'll talk about whether uh, Cody Fajardo should start on a Friday against Edmonton. Of course, that's whether he physically can do it or not. Right. But I think John needs a little bit of a therapy session here. First. Oh, my God. Do I ever do? I... So if, you, if okay. you didn't know, John was in Victoria over the weekend, and just the timing worked out perfectly that he didn't actually have to miss an episode of this podcast. Right, because again, as we've said, Dan Plaster brings the intelligence level up a little too high. We got to mm-hmm. make sure to keep it at around my level, right? Because I mean, so... we embrace the dumb around here, so we do. And Plaster's way too smart and handsome, so <laughs> we got to keep it dumb and ugly for the two of us. But in Victoria this past weekend, great time. Like seriously, top two city to travel to in Canada. Like it just outs. Standing that city, the whale watching, uh, the fisherman's wharf, the fresh food, the beer scene, all of it great. You don't even have to buy your own legal weed because you can just sniff the air at night and get a nice little <laughs> buzz on it. It's fantastic, right? So as we were departing, we brought the whole family and we stopped by a gift shop. And there's these two small Lego boxes. Lego in quotation marks because it's off-brand Lego. So we saw a humpback and an orca whale on our whale watching tour. So the boys each pick out a humpback and an orca. So today, a day of rest after walking lots and drinking lots and eating lots. I'm like, you know what? I can tackle the humpback whale for you, Connor. No problem. Let's get to it. Well, I open up this tiny box of off-brand knockoff Legos, which are very real. And... They're tiny Legos. It's like a 400-piece humpback whale. (laughs) And they're tiny. And I have tiny hands, but they're thick. Like, so I'm sitting here with my giant fumbly hands, 
working on a three-day hangover, trying to put this damn thing together. And to top it off, Joel Gasson, to top the whole thing off, think of the worst IKEA instructions you've seen in your life. Take a moment, imagine that in your mind. Hmm. Now pretend they were written like third copy of that. Somebody they hired like Ikea dropouts to write these off-brand Lego directions. I had no idea what the hell was going on. At one point, I quit. I literally quit. I got up. I, I, I took out like I had multiple containers out. I had the ring light on on my desk. I, I had to go find an old pair of glasses to wear. These things were so damn small. You sound like a man trying to build a ship in a boat. Oh, <laughs> that's it had serious ship in a boat vibes. Because you know what? You'd look at it the wrong way. This off-brand shit would fall apart. They would just slide. They wouldn't lock. Pieces would slide. Like, it was terrible and awful. Took me three and a half hours. To build a little thing of Lego, and I was I, there. Was I, there a age recommendation on the box, by chance? Seven and up. Okay. Take that for what you will. I challenge anybody to go buy the fourteen ninety nine box of Orca mini building blocks for the humpback whale in Victoria, BC, and try to do it yourself. Because there's there's, there's no way. And, like, I, 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 I built Lego my whole life. Built all the Legos for the kids. No problem. Easy peasy. I consider my <coughs> consider myself a master builder. <clears throat> That's what they call it in the Lego movies, if you've never seen them. Okay. But I'd also consider myself the other thing. Regardless, <laughs> it was terrible. It was awful. I am, like, I'm glad... This was a dumb, fun, kind of stupid game this week. Because mm -hmm. if anything had gone off, I'd be, like, standing at the other side of my basement screaming because I have, like, pre-raging. I'm not full rage. I've come down from that. I'm, like, pre-rage where it's, like, the next little thing is... The best part, Joel, finish at the humpback whale right as Connor was going to bed. But as I sit here looking at the spare parts, and there was a not insignificant number of spare parts, so I'm low-key a little worried I screwed this thing up. Sitting beside me in a box, all ready for me to do it again, is the orca whale, just staring at me. Just staring at me with its beautiful orca eyes. <sighs> you're, gonna be, you're gonna have, like, the flashbacks, and you're gonna be, like, uh, Skinner, just looking out the window. <laughs> the flashbacks. PTSD, but from Cheap Lego. Yes, yes, cheap operator. So, that, so I think this will come to a rule in my household now that there shall be no off-brand Lego ever purchased again. Because that, like, it's just like I, I think Lego. They've obviously got something patented that makes the thing stick together. Because any off-brand Lego is just shit. It's terrible. I mean, it's like an eighth of the price, so I can see why you'd spring for it. But by golly, you want a terrible time? Just terrible time. Go for it. Just get some off-brand Lego, just if you hate yourself a little. Yeah, it sounds like if you need to punish yourself, that's what you should do. I think the moral of the story is that, yeah, I guess maybe with Lego, you're not only paying for, like, the pieces that actually work, but you're also paying for proper instructions. Oh, oh, they have everything <laughs> now. Like, they have, like, Lego now, they have YouTube videos for it, and you, like, scan a do, QR yeah. code and look at the YouTube video if you're really stumped, so, which is great for the little kids, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the adults, but, like, I swear, Jill, when I eventually end up in hell after I die, 
Satan's gonna say, "All right, your punishment is building Lego," and I'm gonna be like, "All right, yeah, sure, bring it on." And he's gonna go poke me in the ass with my with his pitchfork and go, "No, tiny miniature Victorian Lego." <laughs> That's how I will spend eternity while having to drink Minhas <laughs> and having to watch a seven-four football game. Where nothing oh. happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would... Or the Boston Red Sox giving up oh. 40 runs to the Toronto Blue Jays in Stop. three days. <laughs> We're a football podcast. <laughs> don't talk about my Red Sox. You know, I had to put, put that in there somewhere, oh. right? Oh, the best part was, was the 28-run <laughs> game was on my travel day to Victoria. And mm. I... Uh, our flight was delayed for about three margaritas. Uh, well, our flight de- was delayed coming to Saskatoon. No big deal. Get to Calgary. I'll, actually, you know what? I'll give WestJet kudos here. Lots of people have been complaining about customer service and stuff. I knew we were going to be late for my flight. They said, yeah, go right up to the guest desk. They flat out, they looked at me, and they're like, here's your boarding passes. You're on the next flight. Go have go have supper. Oh, okay. Like, didn't have to wait in line, didn't have to argue, nothing. Boom, you're on the next flight. So three beer garitas later. <clears throat> and I must have taken off right as the game was hitting its apex because or I was just busy. I didn't see any text from my group chat, anything like that. So we landed in Victoria, and I had uh, – <laughs> this is more. This is more drama for this fucking game. This kind of set the tone. Well, it was a great weekend, but I had surprised – the kids um because we were going to take the bus from the airport but we ended up being delayed it was late so i had secretly called uh and found actually fun fact uh it was about 70 bucks for a cab ride or it was 100 bucks for a limo so i splurged a little you know got a limo and, and we were enjoying this and right as i get in the limo everybody's celebrating i take out my phone to take some pictures and my group chat is blown up yeah your SaskTel network finally connected to the other network, which takes forever when you're in another province, yeah. Oh, God. And when that happened, <laughs> when that happened, Joel, <laughs> all the joy of, hey, this is cool, I'm in Victoria, I'm on my second holiday of the month, we're in a friggin' limo with a, with a, a literally, the guy's name was Keith Fraser. I'm like, long lost cousin, all the vibes are great, and the fucking Red Sox got beat 28 to 5. Ah. But at least I knew I didn't have to watch the rest of the series. Cause, and then, like, oh, my God. T- turn on the, like, circus music when you're watching them. Like, but... <sighs> Anyways, I, I'm, I'm in a good... I swear, I'm in a good space now. I'm good. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of brought it up in my own... For my own purposes, really, because there was a lot of question going into that Ryder game on the weekend whether the they would beat the combined 33 runs in that game. <laughs> whether the over-under of that Jays game final would be beat by both of those teams. Right. So we will talk about a game that did hit the over on that regard, at least. Oh, what a chaotic game. I loved it. It was fun. It was it was a very entertaining game for what it could have been when one team was essentially dressing a preseason roster. <laughs> yes, so yes. for what it was, it was entertaining in a very sickos kind of way that, of course, if you listen to this podcast, you are probably into that. We are definitely into that. And we will oh, talk boy, about it. Some of the parts we liked about the game, and of course, uh, some more, I guess a little more quote-unquote serious, big picture talk about this team as well. But before all that, as usual, before we get into that, John, 
as I heard you rustling around in your ball. What is in the glass this week? In the glass this week, because I realized it looks really fancy. I should have said you were playing with your balls. (laughs) I I was. I got a little upset. Had to go to the golf ball. Um, In the asbestos-laden golf ball cooling machine... It looks really fancy when you buy those like really big bottles. So I swung by Nine Mile today, uh, picked up a 660 of Ella Pale Ale. Nice. It's so good. Uh, the bottom hangs out in ice in the bottom of the golf ball. And because I knew it was going to be one of those nights, also filling up intermittently with ice through the podcast will be my provincial vodka, lime and lemon, because I'm full of pain tonight. But the Ella Pale, delicious. Um, actually, I will say... Now, after being in Northern Ontario, which has a great craft beer scene, mm-hmm. and Victoria, BC, which has a great craft beer scene, it's ridiculous how good it is here in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. it's inc- it's incredible. Like, it it's... Here in Saskatchewan, I feel like, you know, you've got so many breweries. You, like, we talk about them all the time, and, and, and even if you follow the breweries, they all kind of give each other the love. We've got, like, a handful of core craft breweries we can all try, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like Ontario, you got one or two, especially Northern Ontario, you got like the two big boys and everything else is decidedly meh. Surprisingly, and and I think competition breeds success. Almost everything is run by Phillips out in Victoria now, which is not terrible, but also not great at the same time. So I drank a lot of Phillips. Nothing, I mean, the Dino Sour that you had mentioned on the pod before kind of knocked my socks off, but... It was a one kind of beer. So, yeah, we're spoiled here, man. Absolutely. No, no, I, like I say it every time I leave the province now. Like, I, I enjoy trying beers at other, at other places, and there are definitely breweries in other places that I truly enjoy and love. But I think the volume and the quality of breweries just holds up so strong in Saskatchewan. And I'm not, it's, just, it's I'm not just saying that as someone, you know, I'm not trying to be biased or anything because I know a lot of the guys behind the scenes here that run these breweries, but like legitimately our stuff holds up pretty much at least anywhere in Canada, probably in North America, maybe even the world, quite yeah, frankly. I, well, I mean, you look at the, the gold medals, the guys at rebellion have won and uh, mm-hmm. didn't our, our didn't uh, the sponsors pile of bones win an award or something not too long ago. Yeah. I think that was like some regional and national stuff. Not like, Rebellions won like international awards, but yeah, I don't think it, it all depends on what you enter, right? So it's not right. That's kind of plays into it as well. Uh, for me, uh, I picked up on sale at uh, Sobeys this week uh, the Nokomis Craft Ales Long Lake Lager, just sort Ooh. of a nice, crisp, uh, easy drinking lager. You know, the just a really solid, really good beer that tastes like beer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I also have some of those that it, in the fridge now that you mentioned it as well too, because this might be a run to the fridge kind of episode. <laughs> Uh, you might have been running to the fridge on Sunday. And you because... might have missed something when you run to the fridge. That's what yeah. I would I was about to, like, segue <laughs> for you. But regardless. You might have, or because it was so entertaining, you actually felt like enjoying yourself. Oh, um, yeah. Because, yeah, I think, I think, you know, for, you know, understandable reasons, a lot of people had some very low expectations going into that football game. And yes. that's understandable. And maybe that played into it, you know, to a degree being more entertaining than expected because sometimes when you come in with low expectations, it's pretty easy to beat them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we can talk about, you know, how, you know, the loss in the grand scheme of things still isn't that great, but I mean, you always have to consider everything in context as well. And yes, the riders lost the game. They're now four and three in the year. Um, 
I would say it's not impossible, but looking tough for them to host a playoff game this year. We'll see. Stranger things have happened in the CFL, but I mean, we'll get into their schedule in a bit too. But I mean, overall, there's a lot of question marks in the schedule and this is not easy. And there's all kinds of reasons why it's not looking that great right now. But the context of that game is still important when you consider, you know, they're the, you know, half the offense was, was missing. Um, mm-hmm. Some guys on defense were missing. It was, you know, a shit show of a week, you know, previous two other shit show weeks, which those two other, you know, the Garrett Marino thing and the Duke Williams thing are not necessarily things that would have impacted that game that badly. It was more, you know, the COVID stuff and the uncertainty around it and the whole, you know, all over the place practice week where everything just kind of got thrown into chaos and who knew with it when or if they were going to play in the whole thing. So by all expectations, they probably should have lost like forty-five to three. Oh, that's what I was expecting. <sighs> Instead, especially, especially when you saw the number of guys on the COVID list. Yeah. Instead, they were up in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they were, yeah. And yeah, I know that a lot has been made from numerous people about the fact that they only picked up two yards of offense, net yards of offense, in the fourth quarter, and that's certainly a thing. And I am increasingly on the side that I believe Jason Moss is not all he's cracked up to be, at least for this team, how they're currently built and the personnel that they have. Yes. Um, but I don't think you can really lay that at his feet in a game where you are forced to start your third string quarterback and you have one of your starting receivers in the lineup. Well, and, <laughs> so they, I'm willing to give talking... him a bit of a pass on that front for that game. And wasn't the talk, like, right before the game until whether we knew Mason Fine was going to be able to dress or not that, like... Yeah, he was a game-time decision. Um, He was on illness all week, so it must have been... It must have been a scenario where he was probably asymptomatic but still testing positive. Yes. So they were just kind of hoping that he would snap out of it kind of thing. (laughs) Right, and and, and weren't they on the verge of, like, having to sign somebody just to be Doagala's backup in that game? Potentially, and I mean, that was a question I asked because, I mean, I'm not a practice every day. Uh, so I asked Britton Gray of the Green Zone. I asked him, I was like, did anyone ask Craig who the emergency backup is if Fine can't go? And he said, yeah, and all Craig said, all Craig Dickinson said was, we just hope Fine can go. So we obviously didn't want to divulge <laughs> as to who the emergency backup quarterback might have been had Mason Fine not be able to play in that game or something happened to both of them or, or something along those lines. And instantly my mind went, I hope something happens so I know who the emergency quarterback is <laughs> i know i know or or like i wanted to see who they'd be signing off the street like that had like serious like i don't know is there like a 43 year old x rider quarterback hanging out that they would sure carrie joseph's not up to anything like he was in 2014 right but does it look <laughs> that's the question i just i very much think like what's he doing like... these days <laughs> He's coaching somewhere, I think, actually, but yeah. <laughs> Probably selling insurance is what he should be doing. Nobody should be learning from him, but um, yeah, I just, I, in in defense of, of Moss and, and the offense, I don't think you can take a single team in the CFL, throw, throw their third stringer in there on about four days' notice and expect anything really great, right? Um, no. But you're right. I, I thought, like... I, I would say for the most part, and I said in the piece after the game, and Dan Plaster agreed with me that this is a very plug-and-play team. They were true to themselves. They didn't change their game plan a whole lot without, you know, three-quarters of their roster. It was clear that they were not as good because they didn't have the right personnel to do it, or they didn't have the talent 
to do it, right. but they stuck true to themselves to a degree and tried to play their football still. They were just worse at it. <laughs> <laughs> which well, which is which is what you would hope a team would do rather than trying to do something that they're not when they don't have the guys. You it's like, well, no, we still need to play football our way. I would have liked though to see them bust out some goofy back of the playbook shit. That's not, the only I'm not convinced Jason Moss has goofy back of the playbook shit as a thing. No, I I think you're right. I think that's starting to become clearer and clearer as he's just gone hyper conservative. I don't know whether that's the sum of the parts or you know, Moss himself or whatever, but nobody uh, nobody's saying offensive guru and Jason Moss in the same sentence these days, right? So No. I I expected a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I expected a, a boring, you know, on repeat in Hell Sports Bar, forty or thirty-one to three victory for the Argos, where the Argos are just very boring because they're up against an inferior team, and Saskatchewan tries being scrappy and it just turns into a snooze fest. But they, instead, they we... basically could have played it like the Riders played the Red Blacks last year, when the Red Blacks were clearly so very bad that you just didn't have to do anything, and they would eventually implode on themselves. <laughs> Which is the way people are still playing the Red Blacks this year. So, it, well, yeah, yeah I, I expected that. And instead, what we got was, and I don't know if this is like a, a micro view of the CFL this year, because it's been, it's been damn good. But uh, I, I I love the chaos. Like, it was fun. It was a very entertaining football game to watch. Yeah, it, it was fun. Uh, the, uh, the Riders had, n- <laughs> like, what other team turns the ball over five times against essentially a practice roster. Like, if yeah. you're the Argos, you're walking out of here with a victory. Well, I tweeted, not... after the, I tweeted in the middle of the game, or late in the game, and it's still getting traction today, that barely beating, barely winning that game says a lot more about the Argos than a loss does about the Riders. Absolutely it does. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, again, to not lose, the Riders needed some absolute bonkers plays and some bonkers things to happen. And, and that was the only way they were really realistic. Barring, like, the strange freak thing of Jake Dolagalaga apparently being the guy and going right. off and actually being very good. Short of that, yeah, some weird shit was going to have to happen for them to win that football game. But Dolagala was not good. Oh, my God. He was not good at no. all. Like, I, I, I will say he throws a decent football, but, yeah, there's there's a long way to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, from what I watched, again, pretty ball. But very, it's funny you brought up Tino Sinceri because he's who exactly exactly I thought of while watching Dalagala. Like, just underthrows, overthrows, not seeing wide open guys. Like there was there was one of the red zone drives. It escapes me when it was. There was a player wide open in the end zone, and Dalagala just missed him by about forty feet. Mm-hmm. Like, wasn't even close. Brutal overthrow, brutal underthrows. Like it just like does not look like he is ready at all for the CFL, right? So uh, that was not good. <laughs> no, but I mean he's you know, he's been I mean he's been on the you know the one game every week, so he hasn't really been getting any of the reps in practice. He's essentially a practice roster guy that they're allowing to have a full salary. So right. I mean that's probably the best you could have maybe expected, maybe a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, so w- weird, crazy things happened. Um, he did hit a really nice long pass that so should have been a touchdown, but regardless. Um, I think there was really two sort of key moments that swung. I mean, two? Yeah, two. 
we'll, we'll give an honorable mention as well to Craig Dickinson. I, you, I know you might not have seen in the first half when he went forward on third and three deep in yeah. Argo territory and Dolagaga, Dolagaga run ran for the first down and then they yeah. got the touchdown two plays later. So, I mean, that's sticking to what they've done all year. Full credit to that. I thought, I think that helped give them some confidence and kind of get the yeah. game moving. And then the sort of the thing that swung the game that really gave the riders help and the thing that sort of swung it all the way back toward the Argos were just some weird and wacky shit that was just something else. Oh, it all started just before the half uh, when underratedly one of the worst coaches in the CFL, Ryan Didwitty, for some reason decided to attempt a 61 yard field goal with absolutely no wind on the field. I, I, I don't know why on earth you do that, especially <laughs> especially like, against a team where you don't really have to do anything much more to win the game. Um, it was very was reminiscent, that? and both I brought it up and Jamie and I did as well in the press box, of that time Corey Chamberlain attempted with right early, so at least he put his actual kicker out there, didn't what he did. Um, yeah. The 65-yard yard field goal against Calgary that was missed, returned partway, and then Randy Richards delivered that close line from hell on someone that was called unnecessary roughness, and then Bo Levi Mitchell hit the Hail Mary at the half. So. Right, yes, yes, I, yes, now I remember that. I was, I was trying to think of what Ryder game that was. Well, Yeah, so it was is- kind of like that. So if long story short, they attempt a 61-yard field goal, it's missed. Uh, Mario Alfred, who plays a kind of important role later in the game as well, um, returns at 112 yards for the touchdown. All of a sudden, the Riders are leading at the half. Which which blew me away. Like, okay, so my timeline here, I get off the plane, reconnect to my phone, waiting on our bags. I get a text from you that they went for it on third down, scored a touchdown. I'm like, okay, great. That's As I believe I texted you right back, that's what they need to do to win this game. So thankfully my father-in-law, to avoid airport parking, had dropped us off and was subsequently picking us up from the airport. And I get in the van and go, hey, Don, what's the score? He's like, the riders are up four. I'm like, you're shitting me. He goes, yeah, they just ran back a field goal 112 yards at the end of the half. I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> do explain how this happened. He's like, yeah, did when he went for it from 61. Wait, what? Like, a, a terrible bonehead decision. And I thought when something that dumb happens, I'm like, okay, the Argos are going to bleed their own blood. The mm-hmm. Riders are going to pull this off. Like, it kind of had that vibe to it a little bit, right? They're Although showing... the feeling was definitely there for a while. And um, full disclosure, yes, in the predictions piece on 3Down Nation, I said and that the Riders have a tendency to win these games when their backs are up against a wall and a lot of bad things are going their way. Um, I wrote that because it was due... Wednesday night and I'd written that before the COVID shit really hit the fan and right. the game was delayed and all that so I pro- I had a brief window to change it but I just decided to stick with it but I wasn't as confident as I was had the COVID stuff not happened I would have stuck with it because I still think a lot of people would have picked the Argos and I'd say no no this has riders winning the game they shouldn't win written all over it, but regardless no you're absolutely absolutely right and if, like, it was feeling like that for a while i'm like holy crap for a while i was actually thought I'm like holy crap they are actually going to do this and it is going to be one of the biggest stories of the year <laughs> yeah yeah i thought I, I so did i and i i'm sure that somebody in toronto was ready to hand brian dinwiddie his pink slip if that happened like it was just it was chaotic it was dumb it was entertaining but yeah and then like a lot of strange things speak- a lot of strange things happen for a while. There are a few things here or there. Like, you know, you see things like you know, the rare no yards challenge and Ryan Dinwiddie's challenging a scrum play where you can't see the ball at all. And uh, Yeah, what, what was he doing there? Every single replay. Like, that ball was like, like, that ball was 
clearly nowhere to be found. It's not like there was a clear view. And these guys have the eye. Like, he challenged that instantly. Like, he didn't mm. even hesitate. No, and then we got, you know, one of the refs tossing a flag like 40 yards and it was one of the best throws of the night. I, I, am, I am led <laughs> to believe, okay? I'm led to believe that might be Mike Siona. Mm-hmm. CTV Saskatoon's Mike Siona, friend of mine. I've seen him work some U Sports games and I have seen the perfect arc that man throws his flag with. So okay. I'm thinking it might be Siona. Okay. And then... The game turned on another weird, dumb play that I think kind of sent it back toward the Argo, even the Argos, even though the Riders did end up with three points at the end of the day. It did take another four off the board, which could have made a difference at the end of the day before it would have made a difference. Um, that's, of course, the Charleston Hughes, his second forced fumble, this one that he recovered and seemingly took to the house, sending Mosaic into a madhouse, which would have put them up 24 to something at the time. And that I think had that stood stood as a touchdown would have been a game changing moment even further yes. for the Riders, and I think they probably go on to win that game. Should that hold? Instead, we get a fun little quirk in the rule of the CFL rules. <laughs> um, and, so, and, and just to back it up for a second, yeah, we got to talk about your your text a friend of the program, Dan Plaster, about Charleston Hughes. Yes, I said Charleston Hughes was going to recover a fumble for a touchdown in this game. No, I said <laughs> it was they were going to recover a touchdown. He was going to recover a fumble for a touchdown, and they would win 10-7. <laughs> it was going to be but it was what was going to happen, so I was a little off on that one. You didn't tell me about the second one. <laughs> Here I thought that, like, all of a sudden you're, you, you figure things out. You're seeing into the future. You are the man of all sight. And then you forgot to tell me about the second part of that text. I mean, it was, it was still pretty damn close. I mean, he did add, and he did actually force two fumbles. So he, he did. Yes. No. You you call. He he had himself a game. Mm-hmm. That young man. Yes. And yeah, I mean, it was a play, and there was some confusion around. And I th- wish you know there was maybe a little bit better communication in the stadium in terms of what was going on. But regardless, um. It seems, and this was at least a theory brought up because it's a you know it's not a rule that is implemented very often, quite frankly, um, by of the X's and Argos podcast. Ben Grant was in attendance, and he believes this is kind of an old carryover from when the CFL was a rugby league, mm-hmm. where yes, because the explanation was he couldn't bat the ball forward because it then counted technically as a forward pass is how they would interpret it, <laughs> essentially. But in that scenario, when the funny thing is, his foot was right there. Had Charleston Hughes kicked the football, he could have then recovered it for a touchdown because they would have considered it a punt, and he would have been onside. <laughs> so, Which, and Charleston I... said after the game that, you know, it eats at him because he's like, in every other football league in the world, that's a touchdown. Yes, absolutely. Oh! Absolutely it is. There's not and some it's just, and it's just, rule. Yeah, so it's just funny, this old holdover rule where had he done the wrong thing in his mind, it would have been the right thing, and they might have won the football game if he had just kicked the football or if he just, like, tried to scoop it and missed or he just fell on it and it kind of bounced over and out kind of thing. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of... That's just one of those moments you won't see very often, but... I do think that minus four points on the board really gave the Argos a boost and kind of carried them into sort of a win the rest of the way because the 
the, the riders just had nothing left in the tank after that. The proverbial TSN turning point. Yeah, yeah. that would have made it uh, 22 to 14 if I'm looking at this correct. It would have been 22 to 14 or 28 to or 24 to 14. I'm just looking at the scoring yeah. chart right now. But um, yeah, I, I was going nuts because I, same thing. I watch so much football. Like there is uh-huh. no such thing like shut up Dave Naylor there's no such thing as too many football leagues out there like the more football the better people will come to watch enjoy it embrace the chaos of it all right unless it's the under 18 European championship because that is just the miniature Lego of football miniature off-brand Lego so I was going nuts I texted you I'm like what a play that was amazing what a heads up play to like know that and the way that Hughes the veteran he is looked to make sure nobody else was able to recover that before he bats it forward to himself showed that that wasn't a random play like the no. guy was thinking like he he mm-hmm. he looks nobody's here I'm gonna bat this forward I'm gonna scoop and score like brilliant play should have been rewarded it's unfortunate that it wasn't and I almost wonder if that's one of those old timey rules that they realize are still in the rule book that they need to get rid of after the season's over because that's just yeah like to me and i i said it to daryl davis in the press box as well i was like i don't know if he entirely agreed with the second half of this but to me it's very much like bob mckenzie's been saying for years that in hockey you should be able to do whatever you want you know with the goal off your skate as long as your skate is on the ice yes so this is one of those scenarios where i'm like there's absolutely no reason why he could not have done that to score that touchdown which is actually what the WHL went to. The WHL essentially adopted the McKenzie rule that as long as you're not lifting your skate up, it it, it counts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at some point, like you know, that wasn't picked up by the officials on the on on the field. And outside of like some cranky, older than dirt people that are in the CFL Facebook groups these days, I don't know if anybody would have cared or noticed. Like, no, I, I like that's one of those plays that it is so skilled and smart in the moment that it's a scenario that probably should count. Like, as, as the rules currently stand, yep, care, fine. That's how you have to call it right now, but it's something that maybe should be revisited. But I, I find it hard <sighs> to believe, and I would be impressed as hell. And I, and I mean this, and I know two of the officials on that on that field personally. That if anybody knew that obscure rule on the field, like this seems like something that was called down from the command center and killed the vibe at Mosaic and and, and killed the riders' momentum and killed everything fun about about that play. Like, well, that seems not... to be what the command center call downs are all about. So, right? I mean, <laughs> God, some of those are bad. But it it just it 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 struck me as something that okay, yeah, this is here, but let's just look the other way, right? Uh, I know you can't. You can't really do that. that. I yeah. know. It sucks that you can't, but you're right. That was the proverbial turning point in that game before, you know, we got... I mean, the- it was the turning point because it, they ultimately didn't convert it into a touchdown. Had they gone out, produced a little bit better, and still got a touchdown or the turnover, maybe it turns out differently. But, yeah, being stuck to a field goal after that sort of took the wind out of their sails a little bit, I would say. Right, and and took the crowd out of it a bit, a bit with the the long delay too. Before you know things got dumb and dumber in the fourth quarter for the team, and yeah, and then just that ending, like that is like. <laughs> so the ending of the game, 
I, I will say, I was watching it uh, after it had been picked up. I was at my mother and father-in-law's. And in a rare move, normally, even when the riders lose, my father-in-law is the kind of guy that'll just, like, hit the guide button, look for something else to watch, random ball game, maybe, you know, give in to the kids constantly asking to watch cartoons. He'll usually, you know, just, like, all right, let's find something else to watch. The second that punt was muffed, the TV was off. <laughs> I've never seen that. Like, he just, TV off, went up to get a glass of wine. It was, like, boom, done. He has had enough of this, and it was a little awkward, but I respected the move. Yeah, it was, of course, the kickoff after the touchdown that gave the Argos the lead. And Mary Alford, it started to look like sort of a normal run-of-the-mill return, and then he starts running backwards for some reason. He keeps going backwards, and all of a sudden he's surrounded by five Argos, and then he fumbles it, and the Argos score a touchdown to then produce the backdoor cover because uh, that's just kind of the dumb that game deserved to end on. And then a few seconds later, the power flicked at Mosaic Stadium. So (laughs) it was a night and it was fun and it was, uh, it was memorable. That's for sure. Yes. So now the big question becomes, where do they go from here? Um, It's safe to say, obviously a big picture. They're in some trouble, all of that, but you know, sort of short term, even just looking at this week, they're kind of facing a question of, well, what do we do at quarterback? Um, yeah. My guess would be if Cody Fajardo isn't ready to go, you probably turn to Mason Fine this week. Um, but what do you do if Cody is at least, you know, to a certain degree ready to play? And there's two schools of thought, and I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer. But I think I'm leaning one way more now just because of the fact that they have three losses on the year and the West is going to be extremely tight. Um, I think the touchdown Atlantic loss is going to loom larger than the one this past week, of course. Um, But yeah, I mean, you kind of need to win this game now, I think. Otherwise, you're pretty much stuck at the fact that you're going to finish third or fourth, probably, given the fact that the Riders play Hamilton once in October. Every other game is an in-division game. And there's uh, basically a lot of BC, Winnipeg, and Calgary left on the schedule. Um, So... This is pretty important to start this stretch going into a bye week off pretty good. So I'm leaning toward if Cody Fajardo's feeling good enough to play because you have the bye week after, you might have to play him. I think like, I, I, I don't think resting him is necessarily a bad decision either. It's maybe a better decision long term, even if you, that means maybe you're okay with going on the road in the playoffs all the way but maybe you're better off in the longer because then he's got three weeks before he plays. I, I see both sides of the argument, but I'm just thinking of the way a coach is going to think that they're going to want to win this week. Well, and here's the other side of that argument. I don't know if we're necessarily talking home playoff game anymore or making the playoffs. And the reason I say that is, I think you get you like they're at a point now if Cody's 70%, you got to play him because they play the Lions, go on the bye week, the Elks play the Lions, and then you come back with a game against the Elks. Okay. So let's say hypothetically Edmonton can beat BC, or even if both the Riders and Elks lose to BC, all of a sudden that's a four point game. The following two weeks, do you know who the Edmonton Elks play? The Ottawa Red Blacks back to back. All of a sudden, weeks 10, 11, and 12, 
while the Riders are stuck playing the Lions back-to-back, the Elks get the Red Blacks back-to-back. I think if you're holding Cody's knee by string, duct tape, and hope at this point, you have to put him in. He gives them the best chance to win, and they absolutely need every single win right now because let's let's say hypothetically again, they lose this week. Edmonton, which has looked stronger lately. I mean, they did lose to a team that completed seven passes. <laughs> but I mean, that's the bombs. <laughs> still, still, they completed yeah. seven passes. Well, that's because Winnipeg's so good, right? You just got to deal with it. I know that was a dumb. That was a. <laughs> that was a. We could do another episode on how dumb that Bombers win was. So, it, it, which was the only thing that brought me joy on the flight uh, back because it was the same night as the Blue Jays thumping the Red Sox. Regardless, you have to think you could be playing for a. You know, hypothetically, you lose this week. Edmonton's on the bye. Edmonton comes back from the bye, beats BC, and then goes into two, and then plays the Riders. Now we're not talking home playoff game. We're talking making the playoffs at all. So I think you, you got to start playing this. Like you can't. They, they these two losses against the Argonauts have removed the luxury of being able to rest. They've removed the luxury of being able to sit guys like you've removed that luxury. Now you might be fighting for your playoff lives here because you got to think like, I can't see. I don't, I really, I, 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 can't I, see I, 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 the red blacks twice. Maybe not twice. Um, but I think ultimately the riders will prove to be the better team than Edmonton. I, I think Edmonton's improving. They're on the upswing. They're kind of putting it together a little bit, but it's, it's going to kind of be like Jones year one here. They'll be competitive. They'll be tough to play against, but I don't really think they're going to be in the playoff picture when push comes to shove. I don't know. I don't I think just, so. Uh, they have a much easier schedule. They do, the but I, 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 I still don't think they're good enough. And I think, I think once the East starts playing each other more and they can get some wins under their belt, there's going to be some teams that are feeling a little more confident there. And I think, you know, Montreal, I think, is winning, finding ways to, you know, kind of look good despite their coaching at times. I, I can't imagine Hamilton's going to stay this bad forever. I think they are probably, and I mean, it's not a high bar to clear right now, probably the best coach team in the East, and that's got to be yeah. worth something to them. Um, Ottawa's got to get some flukes going at some point, and yeah, Toronto seems to find a way to win despite their coaching as well. So, I mean, at some point in the season, something's going to happen to someone over there and they're going to kind of figure it out a bit. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying Edmonton isn't going to do it, but I, I don't see the scenario playing out as poorly for the Riders as you think it's going to. I don't think Edmonton's going to creep up that much. It could get a little tight at times, but I think ultimately the Riders will find a way to stay ahead of Edmonton. Because think... because we can we can talk about, you know, this this team's history. We've talked about a lot in the past where, you know, they find ways to win games they shouldn't win. You know, they have a lot of dumb losses every year to some teams that they should probably beat. But you know, when push comes to shove, when they know they have to play well against big opponents, they tend to show up. Well, and and I think now you maybe look at a situation where you play Cody basically no matter what this week. Mm-hmm. You have the bye. You play him basically no matter what against Edmonton. Because if you can... 
squeak out a victory against. So let's say in the I, other... I think at this point you, barring a fluke sweep of Labor Day and Banjo Bowl, Winnipeg's basically out of reach at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. I would. I, I would. Even if even with a fluke sweep of. I mean, then it's it's in play. It's on. It's probably still unlikely, but it is in play. Right. So, I mean, your main target. You Not gotta assuming look at... you win every other game going into that, of course. Right. So your main target you got to you got to look at is going to be BC and Calgary, yeah. right? So, I think if the Riders, you mentioned their their ability to perform in big games. This this game against BC at home on Friday night mm-hmm. has just become so much bigger. Like it, this has gone from a okay, let's see where this team is at to a, you know, week eight kind of must win. Then you get the bye. Hopefully, the Lions do the job against the Elks, and then you can come. Then you can go into Commonwealth and do the exact same thing. And then, it, you know, yeah, yeah. Then and maybe I, you reevaluate Cody, and and maybe that's when you start looking at resting him. Like, you know, maybe you look at resting him against the Lions again. You know, in week eleven, right? So, and I think it's also important and fair to point out as good as the BC Lions have been they've beaten up on the East in Edmonton they haven't you know they lost fairly significantly to Winnipeg they haven't played Calgary yet I don't believe so I mean we can talk about how good BC's been and they've taken care of business that they've had to and that's good and that's important I don't think they've necessarily passed the litmus test of being an elite team in this league just quite yet so I think they are still in that range of they are still beatable yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that game against Winnipeg showed a lot. Uh, yeah. And I know Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg is quickly becoming the team that shows up when they need to mm-hmm. and then just complete seven passes and ekes out a victory. I mean, let's even face it, their win against Ottawa was by a field goal, as I look back yeah. here. Uh, you know, it got destroyed by the Bombers. Yeah, I... Like I, I think the Lions are a very good team. They play well. They have, they certainly have strengths. Um, they're probably a playoff team, but they haven't necessarily beaten anyone significant this year yet either. Right, right. So no, you are completely. And they've already had their two bye weeks, right? Yeah, so, so now all of a sudden... I would say at worst they're on sort of, you know, they're kind of on the same level. The Riders maybe more of the downturn from their peak, while the Lions are on the way up from where they were. Right. Kind of as you know, organizational progress, so to speak. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. the The Lions do have a bit of an inflated record, so I, I, I still think you have to. I think you play Cody regardless mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm leaning that way too. Like, I, I can listen to and can understand arguments to rest him, but I think all things considered, now unless he is actually physically incapable of playing, you have to play him. Right. When and when you saw him jumping around on the sidelines a bit, yeah, it leads you to believe that maybe the knee isn't as bad as even Cody himself said it was. Like you you're Which not I seeing may have hinted at last game because he's you sometimes did. fairly you... emotional after games. If there was if there was the, like the dream going back in time music that Tim and Sid <laughs> used to do, this is where we'd go back to last week's episode where you literally said exactly that line. Instead, we'll just point out you said literally exactly that line last week. Mm-hmm. I can tell you who is not overly emotional after a game is Jake Dolagalica. <laughs> I listened, I caught his audio on the Green Zone post-game show on the way back, and wow, that is a man of few words. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, on top of the usual praising of the three-minute drill or the last three minutes of a CFL game, and 
and going on about the fact that he made a big completion and only fist pumped. Glenn Suter was in fine form on the broadcast. I tell you what, we almost need we almost need to come up with a Glenn Suter drinking game here. Oof. I don't like know. I, if, said, I don't know if I want to subject myself to that. I think we can figure it out. I think we're onto something here, Joel. I mean, Rod Black is gone. We need a new CFL play-by-play guy or color guy. Pardon me. That's not very good to kind of hammer on and make a drinking game out of. Okay, finish your drink when he goes on about the last, you know, three minutes being the best three minutes in football, no matter what. Um, when he gets a little too happy with a telestrator, you drink the entire time he's on the telestrator. I See, there's the basis of something good here, my friend. Well, I, I will leave this in your capable hands, and all I will say is that Dustin Nielsen and Dwayne Ford should call the Grey Cup. Yes! I said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'll million, keep saying it. <laughs> million percent. I don't get why... I, I don't... Maybe it's because I like his style. His I like that excitement style uh, mm-hmm. that that Dustin does, and I also like the fact that he single handedly spearheaded A and W bringing back the whistle dog. Like that's that's impressive. The yeah. man made a bygone fast food item come back. Okay, if if you had <laughs> if you had the power, Joel, of Dustin Nielsen, where you could revive a long departed fast food item. I don't know anything. I don't know, man. I really don't think about fast food that much anymore. I don't remember a whole lot of old school fast food stuff, for being perfectly honest. Not the McRib? Did you ever have a McRib? Maybe one or two. And I remember I did not like McPizza. A lot of people loved it. It was not a thing for me. I was just, I was, I was about to say the same thing. I was going to say the same thing. Um, The Wendy's Portobello Mushroom Melt. Hmm. Yeah. Real good. I, I love cheese sauce on everything. Yeah, There's I can lots. see that. So, there we go. But we don't have the power of Dustin Nielsen, but you're right. He should be calling the Grey Cup. He's Jacques Cartier. Show's over. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.